The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Derek Twigg. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Eric Twigg. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over 2,500 households in Holton are affected by the bedroom tax. The Chief Executive of the National Housing Federation said this week, Mr. Speaker, and I quote, the bedroom tax is ill-thought and unfair as thousands of disabled people will have no choice but to cut back further on food and other expenses in order to stay in their homes. Will the Prime Minister now drop this callous policy? Well, well, first of all, let us be absolutely clear, this is not a tax. Only... Let me me explain to the Labour Party. A tax is when you earn some money, the government takes some of that money away from you. That is a tax. Only Labour could call a benefit reform a tax increase. But let me be clear to him. Pensioners are exempt, people with severely disabled children are exempt, people who need round-the-clock care are exempt. Those categories of people are all exempt. But there's a basic issue of fairness. How can it be fair that people on housing benefit in private rented accommodation do not get a spare room subsidy, whereas people in social housing do? That isn't fair, and we're putting that right. Crouch. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Figures published yesterday show that over the last 20 years there's been a 137% increase in the number of deaths linked to Alzheimer's disease. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that we are going, if we're going to stop this awful condition from inflicting more people in the future, that we need to invest much more in preventing this disease and in re- research in particular? And will he outline to the House what the government is doing to help support those with dementia and those who care for them? No, well, I think my honourable friend raises something that is of concern to everyone in this House and everyone in this country because no one knows when a relative could get afflicted by this condition. And the point she makes is absolutely right. This is a disease and we should be thinking about it as a disease in the way that we try and crack cancer or heart disease or strokes. And that's why this government is increasing the amount of money going into the medical research so that we can try and prevent uh, dementia in more cases. But there are many other things we need to do in terms of improving the care in care homes and in hospitals and also make sure we have more dementia-friendly communities so that we all learn about how to deal with people who have dementia and how to help them lead as productive lives as possible. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I'd like to ask the Prime Minister about an individual case that has been raised with me. John, John works in East London and is worried about what's happening to his living standards. His salary is £1 million, and he's worried that under proposed EU regulations, his bonus may be capped at just £2 million. Can the Prime Minister tell us what he's going to do for John? Well, what I would say to John, what I would say to John, and everyone like John, is under this government, bonuses are one quarter of what they were when he was in the Treasury. of lectures from lots of people, but I don't have to listen to the croupier in the casino when it all went bust. Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker I, know that, I, know that, I know the Prime Minister doesn't want to deal with the facts, but he sent his Chancellor to, to Europe yesterday in order to argue against the bonus tax. Now, 
Now, he says, presumably because he thinks it will be bad for the City of London. But who led the negotiations, Mr Speaker, on the bonus cap? It was a Conservative member of the European Parliament. And what did she say? She said, we have managed to produce a deal that will strike the right balance for the majority of bankers who take responsible decisions. Why are the Prime Minister and the Chancellor the only people who think it's a priority to fight for bigger bonuses for bankers? As ever, he is completely wrong. We have some of the toughest rules on bonuses and the toughest rules on transparency of any major financial centre anywhere in the world. And when the croupiers were in charge, where was the transparency? There was none. Where were the rules? There were none. We're not going to listen to them. But look, there is an important issue here. There are some important British national interests. We are responsible for 40% of the EU's financial services. Those industries are here in our country and we ought to make sure they go on contributing to our exchequer. We want to make sure that international banks go on being headquartered here in the UK. We think that matters. He might want to just pose and play politics, but we care about these things. We also... We also... We also want to make sure that we can put in place the very tough ring fence around our retail banks so the complete shambles that he presided over can never happen again. This is the man who, who in opposition, said there will be a day of reckoning for the bankers. And now he sends his Chancellor to fight against the bonus cap in Brussels. And what did he say? Was he arguing that there should be more regulation of the banks? No, no. He says he was. Oh, well, let's see. What did he say? David Cameron, a Conservative economic strategy, March 2008. I have it here. As a free marketeer, as a, as a free marketeer by conviction, it won't surprise you to hear me say the problem of the last decade has been too much regulation. So, so there we have it, Mr. Speaker. Say, let me say, I, I, think, I think John the banker will take heart that the Prime Minister is straining every muscle to help him. Now, let me ask him, let me ask him about the cases of the hundreds of thousands of disabled people who will be losing an average of £700 a year because of his bedroom tax. Is he going to fight for them like he's fighting for John the banker? Let us just remember what happened in 2008 when he was sitting in government. The biggest banking bust in our history. The build-up of the biggest deficit in our history. All the mess that we're having to deal with now was delivered by him and his henchmen in 2008. And what about one... I tell you what, before we go on to the spare room subsidy, let him get to his feet and apologise for the mess he left in this country. Apologise. people who don't like it if the session runs on. Personally, it doesn't matter to me at all, but the more noise, the more disruption, the longer it takes, the longer we'll be here. It's very simple. Ed Miliband. I do notice, I do notice the Prime Minister has a new tactic, which is to ask me questions at our exchanges. All I can say is it's good to see him preparing for opposition, Mr Speaker. 
Secretary shakes her head, I'm looking forward to facing her when they're in opposition. Now, now, let me ask him, because he didn't answer the question about the bedroom tax. Now, he talked earlier about the hardship fund. Let's look at the facts on this hardship fund. There's £25 million allocated to help disabled people hit by the bedroom tax in the hardship fund. £25 million people specifically for disabled people. But how much do his own figures show he's taking from disabled people? £306 million. So will he admit that the vast majority of disabled people who are hit by his bedroom tax will get no help from his hardship fund? Well, first of all, the whole House and the whole country will note no apology for the mess left by the party opposite. But let me tell him, let me tell him, on the, on the spare room subsidy, his figures are completely wrong. First of all, the last thing he just said before he sat down is that we are cutting the money going to disabled people. That is simply not the case. In 2009-10, the money spent on disability living allowance was £12.4 billion. By 2015, it will be £13.3 billion. There is no cut in the money going to the disabled. This government is protecting that money in spite of the mess that he made. Now, on the spare room subsidy, pensioners are exempt, people with disabled children are exempt, anyone who needs help around the clock is also exempt. And as he is fond of reading out letters from his constituents, let me read out one I got on this issue from a pensioner who said this, we are expected to find up to an extra £60 a month out of our pensions for having extra bedrooms. Well, of course, they're not. They're pensioners. They're exempt, but they've been terrified by his completely irresponsible campaign. I think what that means is there was nothing in the briefing on the question I asked. Let me, let me just make it clear, because he obviously doesn't understand it. His own impact assessment, which I have here, which you might read, by the way, Mr Speaker, says there are 420,000 disabled people hit by the bedroom tax, an average of £700 a year, right? That's £306 million. The money in the hardship fund allocated to disabled people is just £25 million. So will he admit, it's a basic arithmetic, will he admit the vast majority of disabled people will get no help from the hardship fund and will be hit by his bedroom tax. He's completely wrong because anyone with severely disabled children is exempt from the spare room subsidy. Order! Order! Members mustn't shout at the tops of their voices at the Prime Minister. The question has been asked and it was heard and the answer must be heard. The Prime Minister. He completely ignores the fact that anyone with severely disabled children is exempt from the spare room subsidy. Anyone who needs care around the clock is exempt from the spare room subsidy. But the point he has to address is this. We are spending... £23 billion on housing benefit. That is up by 50% over the last decade. That is £1,000 every year for every basic rate taxpayer. Now, we say it is time to reform housing benefit, and it is only fair that you treat people in social housing the same way as in private rented housing. He has no proposals to do anything about welfare, but just to put up borrowing. I think we've established today the Prime Minister doesn't understand his own policies. It, it, is, it is shameful to be doing this and not even to understand the impact of it on the people of this country. He pulls out all the stops. 
to defend the bankers and their bonuses. But he's got nothing to say to the disabled people who are being hit by his bedroom tax. He stands up for the wrong people. It's no wonder his backbenchers and the country think he's totally out of touch. heard today is what we hear every single Wednesday. They will not support one single change to welfare. They won't support reforms to housing benefit. They didn't even support it when we took housing benefit away from people charging £100,000 a year. They wouldn't support changes to child benefit. They won't support any changes to DLA. They won't support changes to council tax benefit. They have opposed £83 billion of welfare saving. And that is the point. They have to admit that their policy is to put up borrowing. They have nothing to offer, only debt, debt and more debt. Mark Pritchard. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <laughs> This is, uh, forgive me. I, I was taken by surprise. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On the 8th of March, and this may surprise some members even more, on the 8th of March, we celebrate International Women's Day. Would the Prime Minister join me in calling upon the Indian and Pakistani governments to do more to uphold the rights of women and to advance the, the gender agenda? No, I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this, and I think there are some particular issues we should really focus on, and that is uh, female genital mutilation, which is a completely unacceptable practice that we need to deal with right across the world, but including here in the United Kingdom, and we'll be making an announcement about that. But we should also do more to crack down on the completely unacceptable practice of forced marriages. There are still forced marriages taking place right here with people involved from the United Kingdom, and we need to do more to put a stop to it. Michael Connerty. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. I've been asked by the good people of Whitburn to open a food bank for West Lothian, and I'm very proud of these people who are pulling together as a community, but I have to say that I carry a sense of absolute shame that this government is driving people more and more, even working people, to have to use food banks, and I see people waving this away. It is a question of morality. The government must surely look after the poor as well as look after the rich. Well, the, the point I would welcome people that are making this contribution in our country, as the last Labour government did by giving uh, the organisation that founded food banks a, actual, a, a prize and an award for their work. I'd point out to him that the use of food banks went up ten times under Labour. But one thing Labour refused to do, which we have done, which is actually to allow job centres to point people towards food banks if they need them. They were worried, the last Labour government was worried about the adverse publicity they put that worry before the needs of people up and down the country. Chris Skidmore. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that we cannot borrow less by borrowing more? Yeah. We cannot deal with the deficit left by the last Labour government by increasing our debts. And that the Shadow Chancellor's plan for doing so is both financially and morally bankrupt. Yeah. I think my honourable friend makes an important point. The policy of the official opposition is to borrow less by borrowing more. It is completely incredible. And that is why the leader of the opposition comes here week after week. He asks about all sorts of questions, but he will never mention his borrowing policy. It's an extraordinary point, but the leader of the opposition have a has a policy he's so embarrassed about, he can't tell the House of Commons. Mr Graham Stringer. 
David Nicholson showed willful and culpable ignorance while more than a thousand people died needlessly in the NHS. How can the public have any confidence in the administration of the NHS while this man re remains? Will, will the Prime Minister not sack him immediately? Well, what I'd say about David Nicholson is that he has very frankly and very candidly apologised and acknowledged the mistakes that were made. And I think it is an important point because I think everyone has to think of their responsibilities with regards to the dreadful events that happened at the Staffordshire Hospital, including the fact that part of the problem was people following a very top-down, target-led agenda, which led to patient care being put on the back burner. Now, David Nicholson has made his apology and wants to get on with his job of running an excellent National Health Service, and other people, frankly, should be thinking of their positions too. Mr Martin Horwood. Will the Prime Minister welcome the Honourable Member for Eastleigh and agree with me that even governing parties can win marginal by-elections if they stick by their leader through thick and thin yeah. and campaign hard and campaign hard for a stronger economy and a fairer society. Well, I, I will certainly welcome the new Member of Parliament for Eastleigh for the period of this Parliament. Um, I'm sure... I'm sure that uh, he, he would enjoy making a contribution to our, our debates, and I, I know very carefully the rest of my honourable friend's question. <laughs> Debbie Abrahams. This time last week, the Prime Minister told me uh, that he would not be forcing GP commissioners to put health services out to tender. By the end of last week, doctors, nurses and the Association of Medical Royal Colleges, as well as nearly 250,000 members of the public, said they didn't believe him. Was yesterday's withdrawal of the NHS competition regulations down to his government's incompetence or that the public and professionals just don't trust him and believe he is about to yeah. privatise the NHS? With respect to the Honourable Lady, I think there is an attempt to create an entirely false argument here. But the aim, the aim is to ensure that the rules for procurement and diversity in the NHS fully respect the position that was put in place by the last government that's been repeated in this government. And so what we are doing is putting that beyond any doubt. But what I would say to her is slightly what I said last week. What are we to be frightened of by making sure that in our brilliant NHS you can get a full contribution from private sector companies, from, uh, from uh, voluntary and charity bo charitable bodies too? That is actually the manifesto that she stood on at the last election. Just in case she's forgotten, I will remember, I'll remind her. We will support... Listen, I thought, I thought they'd like to hear that manifesto. I thought they'd like to hear it. We will support an active role for the independent sector working alongside the NHS in the provision of care, particularly where they bring innovation, such as end-of-life care and cancer services. What happens is when the Labour Party goes into opposition, they become a wholly owned subsidiary of the trade union movement. Mr Jeremy Lafroy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A, re a report to monitor recommends the closure of acute and most emergency and maternity services at Stafford. Would my right honourable friend meet with me and colleagues to discuss the serious impact this would have on access to services for people throughout Staffordshire 
including the two new signals regiments we welcome in 2015. Well, I've discussed this issue many times with my honourable friend, and I'm very happy to speak with him again. The Trust does continue to face some serious financial challenges, and that is putting at risk its work to improve services for patients. And as required by the legislation, Monitor is going to be consulting with the Health Secretary, as well as others, before making the final decision to, to, to go ahead with the matter that he raises. But if he wants to discuss it with me or with the Secretary of State for Health, very happy to have that conversation. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week, the CBR reported that one in ten people in Newcastle have borrowed money to pay for food. In April, 20,000 of our poorest households are going to be asked to find up to £125 per month to pay for the council tax benefit cut and the bedroom tax. So could the Prime Minister confirm whether at the same time he personally will be benefiting from the millionaire's tax cut. Well, first of all, let me, let me address the issue. Let me address the issue of the spare room subsidy in Newcastle specifically. Because there are 9,000 people on social housing waiting lists. And I think this is important. Across the country, you've got 250,000 people who are living in overcrowded accommodation, who would love to have access to a house with more rooms, and you've got 386,000 people who are living in overcrowded housing. That is the reality. Now, the party opposite does not want to recognise that reality and have got absolutely nothing to offer in terms of reform. Claire Perry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last year, more than 100 women were killed by men in the United Kingdom, and we know that domestic violence happens across, behind doorways across this entire country. Will the Prime Minister take the opportunity of International Women's Day to pay tribute to the outstanding work being done by Wiltshire Police in trialling new ways of reducing this appalling crime, and also to the Victim Support Centre and Devices who are providing services for those who suffer in my constituency? I'm very happy to do that. I think that fighting domestic violence is an important part of International um, Women's Week, as she says. I particularly want to commend not just the police in Wiltshire, but actually the local authority that has done very good work at bringing all the agencies together to make sure we really have a joined-up approach of trying to crack this very difficult problem, which, actually, as she says, has often been hidden from view. Mr Ronnie Campbell. Yeah. A, re- a recent report of the TUC suggested that wages in this country have been depressed since you took the power by 3%. Not you, sorry. (laughs) 3% since the Tories took the power. Take that along with the cuts in welfare. Why is it that bankers, spivs and speculators can get away with stuffing their pockets with £50 notes under the bonus guys? When is this Prime Minister going to get a grip of these fat cats, and if he's not going to get a grip, let my humble friend in the seat and he'll get a grip. The, the point I'd remind him about is when his honourable friends were in charge, the bonuses were higher, the banks were going bust, there wasn't proper regulation, and that's why we're dealing with the mess. He can try and wave it away, but those two were sitting in the casino when the wheel stopped spinning and the country nearly went bust. Does the Prime Minister welcome the action the Office of Fair Trading have taken today to make sure that payday lenders behave responsibly and fairly? 
I think my honourable friend raises a very important case because the fact is a number of payday lenders have been behaving in a completely irresponsible way. The OFT are putting 50 firms on notice over their behaviour. They are requiring them to take specific actions, facing fines or having their licences revoked. And the OFT are also consulting on referring the entire sector to the Competition Commission. So action is being taken and I commend the OFT for what they've done. Sarah Champion. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Rotherham College of Arts and Technology has just had a cut of 280 places for 16 to 18 year olds. That's a 10% cut, despite Rotherham being a youth unemployment hotspot. With rising youth unemployment and a flatlining economy, why is the Prime Minister denying young people of Rotherham an education? Can he explain why he is cutting taxes for millionaires while young people have no future? Let me just tell her that in her region, employment is up by 21,000 this quarter. It's up by 74,000 since the election. We've taken 192,000 people in her region out of tax altogether, and youth unemployment is actually down since the election. Julian Sturdy. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Like many others, I welcome last week's figures showing that annual net migration has fallen by a third since the general election. Prime Minister, agree with me that this shows the government is ending uncontrolled immigration, while the party opposite has opposed every single step that we're taking to bring it down. I think my honourable friend makes a very worthwhile point, which is this. We have taken action right across the board to deal with the completely unacceptable situation that we inherited. Under the last government, net migration ran at over 200,000 a year. That meant two million over a decade. That is two cities the size of Birmingham coming and staying in our country under their completely busted and bankrupt system. Now, what we have done is cut that net migration by a third by taking a series of steps none of which they have supported. Now, tonight we hear we're going to get one of these fake apologies from the Leader of the Opposition. I suspect it will be every bit as real as his completely fake apology to apologise for the mess he left the economy in. Thank you, Mr Speaker. After the riots, the Prime Minister offered people in Croydon reassurances about public safety. But under the latest Tory proposals, every police station in Croydon North will close down and there will be fewer police officers than the wholly inadequate number that existed immediately under the riots. Isn't this another broken promise? Well, well, first of all, his figures are are wrong. The number of neighbourhood police officers in London is up from 895 to 3,418. Crime is down in the Met, and he should be welcoming that rather than criticising it. Sir Bob Russell! The The Lord said, go forth, and in Eastleigh, Labour came forth. The Prime Minister has observed that UKIP is a party of nutcases, fruitcakes and closet racists. His Deputy Chairman says the Conservatives should form an electoral pact with UKIP. How are the talks going? Well, first of all, can I commend my honourable friend on his splendid waistcoat? And I'm sure if he, if he reveals a little bit further, we'll see that, uh, yes, the, yeah, all right, OK, enough. Enough already. What, what I can say is it was a good, honest and fair fight in, in Eastleigh, but what I would be absolutely clear about is the party that is meant to be challenging as the opposition in our country went precisely nowhere. Mr Russell Brown. 
Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. My, uh, my constituents, Prime Minister, in, in Dumfries and Galloway are demanding that big businesses pay their full taxes. Likewise, they are determined that individuals pay all their taxes. Prime Minister, you have said that you will pay all taxes due in the proper way. Next month, will that include any tax at the new 45p rate, which you, Prime Minister, have cut from 50p? Well, first of all, can I welcome the fact that he supports this government's G8 initiative on tax transparency, which we are going to make some real progress on. What I would say to him, the reason for replacing the 50p rate with the 45p rate is the 50p rate wasn't raising proper money. Indeed, it raised £7 billion less. That is probably why, for 10 years in office, the Labour Party never put this in place. And that is why, under this government, the 45p rate will be higher than the rate than ever it was when the two croupiers were sitting in the casino. The widely disputed economic benefits of HS2 may or may not be realised in 20 years' time. However, the blight, fear and anxiety this project generates hit my constituency on the 28th of January with the announcement of the extended route. I now have constituents who can't sell their houses, businesses uncertain about their future and the potential loss of a £500 million private sector investment set to generate 7,000 jobs in 2016. Can my right honourable friend ensure that representatives of HS2 visit my constituency of North West Leicestershire to address the real concerns of my constituents about this project? No, and I'm very happy to make sure that what my honourable friend asked for happens. I quite understand that when you uh, launch a project like HS2, it does cause a lot of local concern, a lot of local unease. That is why we're putting in place such a large national consultation, and that is why we will put in place a very generous compensation scheme. But I would say to my honourable friend, I think if we are going to win in the global race economically, we've got to make sure that we invest in new infrastructure, whether that is roads and bypasses, bridges, tunnels, all or indeed railways, including high-speed rail. The rest of the world is getting on board a high-speed rail revolution, and it's right that we should too. Finn Fluid. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Giving an extra £150 million to local authorities to streamline adoption services and taking the exact sum out of the care sector's early intervention grant seems to me to be a classic example of giving with one hand and taking away with the other. In adopting this process, is the Prime Minister not acting in a manner more usually associated with his coalition partners? <laughs> no, I don't accept that. Look, I think it is important we make progress with uh, rates of adoption in our country. Far too many children are left for far too long in care when we know there are loving homes that they could be adopted into. And I think taking some of that money and really encouraging local authorities to raise their game to improve what they do can transform the life chances of other people who would be stuck in care. And we all know the state is not a good parent. We want to see more children adopted more quickly so more can grow up in a loving home. Somehow, my uh, right honourable friend, join me in welcoming the news that new car sales are up 8% in February. Yeah. 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 Happy to join my honourable friend in that. The fact is that the economy is rebalancing. We're seeing that in the export figures to some of the fastest growing countries in the world. We see that in the fact there are a million more people in private sector jobs. We see it in the fact that the rate of new business creation is the fastest now that it's ever been in our history. We see it in the fact that our economy employs more people now than it has ever done in our history. There is still a long, difficult road to travel, but the deficit is down by a quarter. We're taking the steps 
we need to get our economy moving. But as ever, we have nothing constructive from the party opposite. Della Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm delighted to hear the Prime Minister say he agrees the payday loan industry is irresponsible. Will he now therefore commit to do the one thing we know would make a difference and cap the charges of legal loan sharks? Yes or no? As I said, I think the most important thing today is to welcome what the Office of Fair Trading is doing, which is putting these companies on notice. But I think it is worth making the point that if you don't have an effective regulated sector, you do see far more dangers from loan sharks, which is the point the Honourable Lady is making. George Freeman. This week, the 45 million people of Kenya, one of the fastest emerging markets in which the UK is the biggest trade partner, went to the polls to elect a new government under a new constitution. Yesterday, I came back from the funeral in Kenya of Dr Anthony King, the world-renowned young British conservationist in the fight against poaching, tragically killed last week. Would the Prime Minister take this opportunity to join me in sending our condolences to Dr King's family and our support to the people of Kenya in showing the power of democracy, justice and the rule of law? Well, I commend my honourable friend for raising this issue and I join him in paying tribute to Anthony King and I know that my honourable friend travelled to Kenya to speak at his funeral and I think it's quite right that he did so. We all want to see proper, free and fair elections completed, counted and finished in Kenya and a proper democratically elected government in that country and to make sure that there is justice when dreadful events like this take place. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.